Hello and welcome to the No Show Studios. This is the first episode of the No Show Sportscast. My name is Trevor Coos and I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Mark Ling. How's it going, Mark? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good, pretty good. Now, before we jump right into things, we're going to do a little bit of an introduction of sorts. So you guys know where we're coming from as sports fans. As I said at the top, my name is Trevor Coos. I'm a third-year history major at UC Davis, and my two favorite sports teams are the San Francisco Giants and the St. Louis Rams. And baseball is my favorite sport. Can't get enough of it. Anyway, what about you, Mark? I'm a junior at UC Davis. I like baseball more than any other, but I also like football and basketball. basically don't like any other sports. Uh, if I like the Red Sox. My family's kind of from Boston. And if I had to choose a stupid football team, I guess I would say the Raiders because... Because uh, you can't get enough punishment. Yeah. Basically, the Raiders are terrible. Anyways, so yes. And the Kings for basketball. Okay. Yeah. As far as what we're planning on bringing you in the sports cast and on the blog is strong opinions on a various on various topics throughout the world's sports... Now, Mark and I are biased people, and you should expect that to come through in our opinions and our writing. And uh, like I was saying, <clears throat> our blog can be found at noshowsports.blogspot.com, and our email is noshowsports at gmail.com. And now, with that, we're going to hit the ground running with one of everyone's favorite topics, steroids. And more specifically, Mark McGuire... His admission to using steroids throughout his career and the implications of that. Mark, opening thoughts? Uh, Mark McGuire taking steroids is very expected. Obviously, everyone knew that he took steroids. And him admitting it doesn't really, uh, doesn't really do anything for me. I, we all kind of knew it. And the fact that he's saying that he did it is kind of cool. I feel like he's doing it because... Either A, Tony LaRusso is making him do it, so there's not a lot of media attention over the season, um, or B, because he wants to get into the Hall of Fame. Neither of those reasons are are, uh, are the best, in my opinion. He should have done it right from the get, but um, no one else did, so he shouldn't have been necessarily like the martyr. Yeah, I would, I would say that it's probably more to do with these, uh, the job as the hitting coach for the Cardinals, more so than... The Hall of Fame, because really, I mean, it might be a bonus, but I think at this point, Mark realizes he's not getting in. It might, it might. I mean, maybe somewhere down the road, you know, he's only been on for three years. He's got 22 more years. You know, it's nothing's, you know, put in stone at this point. But I'd say that the overall opinion is that he will not be in the Hall of Fame. I'm not saying that's right. I'm saying that's what the baseball writers will be thinking. I think he should be in the Hall of Fame. We can get to that later. But, um, yeah, I don't I don't think that the baseball writers uh, will forgive him. I think he waited too long. I think people know at this point that it wasn't just an admission like the Andy Pettit admission who where he admitted as soon as it was found out that he had used steroids, he admitted it right away. He was like, yeah, I used it. I was injured. I wanted to get healthy again. And he moved forward. This, we already knew. We already knew he used. And we're moving forward. And, you know, it, it really is obviously for the St. Louis Cardinals job and possibly for the Hall of Fame. It's not just, oh, he, all of a sudden we found out and he admitted it. 
Yeah. Uh, first of all, I don't think the Andy Pettit thing should be like, I don't, I don't think people should sort of look up to him for that because he didn't admit it bef- until he got sort of caught. And uh, yeah, I don't think anyone other than Jose Canseco has has admitted it without being implicated in some fashion beforehand. Yeah. Um, like that's a whole nother topic. Jose Canseco is sort of turning out to be the most honest person in the whole steroid situation. But um, regardless, I think that if I took steroids and I were a baseball player, I think right now, now it's hard for me to say because obviously I'm not a baseball player and I didn't take steroids, but I think I would come out and sort of say it now because you're going to get sort of found out if you were worth anything if anyone cares about you like what was it it was someone like scott schoenweiss or something like that scott schoenweiss someone, manny alexander yeah, exactly. there's lots of those people like no one no one cares but if if i were mark mcguire i would have admitted it sort of when this all started i, I think i would have anyways um he had yeah a- i mean and he he touched on that in the bob costas interview where he said that the reason he didn't admit it as at the time is that um that he was not given uh wasn't assured immunity that there might be some sort of uh court implications later on at least at the congressional hearing who knows why he's waited you know it's been five years since then who knows why he's waited that long well, you know what i can guarantee you that lying to congress people and a jury is against the law yeah exactly <laughs> so, exactly um, so I, I mean that makes sense there i mean he didn't want to come out and no i mean no one else admitted anything in that hearing it was kind of you know pointless in hindsight no, um, we got the Rafael Palmero finger wag. Ah, uh, yes, the finger wag, and then two weeks later, the positive steroid test. Yes, that we got something out of the that. The infamous finger wag. Um, but getting back to Mark McGuire, um, you know, he said he started using, I believe it was 89, uh, with his rookie year, his first full year in the league in 87 at the age of 23. He uh, was the rookie of the year that year and actually an all-star, and finished uh, sixth place in MP- MVP voting that year. Who won the MVP that year? Do you know? I do not know. 89? It might have been... 87. 87. Um, but, so he had 49 home runs that year. You know, obviously had power. George Bell in the AL. Andre Dawson, the Hawk, in the Hall of Fame, in the NL. Um, that, that's those, those, were, those were the uh, MVPs that year. George work. Bell... Andre Dawson, that's what the kind of informative, quick-hitting news we give you on the uh, No Show Sportscast. The 1987 winner of the MVP <laughs> Anyway, 49 home runs McGuire hit his rookie year, 118 RBIs, a slugging percentage of 618, which is, in all, my, all rights, ridiculous. So, he, if we go by Mark's uh, time frame... Mark McGuire. Mark McGuire. This is going to be confusing. Yes, hopefully we won't need to. I'll try to stick to McGuire. Um, if we go by his time frame, he was not using steroids at that time. And he obviously had, was quite an impressive hitter at such a young age. He had 289, uh, an OPS of just under 1.000 at 9.87 was his OPS. And, you know, it's it's hard to say... If he actually was clean at that point, according to him, he was. We will never know. There's no way to go back and find out exactly who was cheating, exactly how things went down. And really, the the biggest point is that there's no way to find out how steroids affected the numbers. We just don't know. Yeah, that's true. Um, 
obviously the steroid situation is kind of like a big deal. It's really affecting record books. It's really affecting Hall of Fame voting. It's really affecting on the field play now with players like Roger Clemens and uh, who's not really playing now, but it's it's still it's affecting players who are playing now. A Rod. Yes, that would be a good example. Alex Rodriguez, although if anything that positively affect them since the stupid Yankees won the World Series. Um, anyways, uh, on the topic of my disagree with you i think eventually he will make it into the hall of fame because there's one thing that we've learned from our society is that sort of time heals all wounds and since he's come out and apologized people are sort of like not really with him now because we all know he's doing it sort of for the bad reasons but in five or six or seven eight years I feel like the apology that he made recently is going to be sort of his ticket in and and he'll get in. Yeah, like we were saying, he has 22 years, I believe, uh, before uh, his uh, moratorium passes. So, I mean, it's plenty of time. Who's to say really what will happen in the long run? I know what will happen in the long run. You know what will happen. Mark, Mark, Mark Ling right here. No show sportscast knows what will happen. Mark McGuire, you want to throw a year out there? Let's see, what year is it right now? 2010? 2010. Okay. And his eligibility ends in 23 years. That's 33, if my math is correct. So I'm going to say that. I'm going to give you a window just okay. to hedge my bets. I will say between the years of 2015 and 2020, Mark okay. McGuire. Mark it down, folks. 2015 and 2020, Mark McGuire will be in the Hall of Fame in that window. All right. And uh, like we were saying, it's affected... The overall uh, awards, MVPs, uh, record books. <clears throat> and right now, the top six uh, places in the single season home run record is are either taken by Mark McGuire, an admitted steroid user, in 98 and then 99. A lot of people forget that he hit 65 the year after he hit 70. And then we've got Barry Bonds at number one. And then Sammy Sosa at three, five, and six. So really, um, the record books—you know—depending on what your thoughts are on steroids, the record books look to be a little bit tainted. And then, of course, Roger Maris after that, Babe Ruth at eight and nine, and then uh, a tie between um, Jimmy Fox, Hank Greenberg, Ryan Howard, and then Mark McGuire yet again, rounding out the top ten. Um, I think Roger Maris should make the Hall of Fame. You think? Yeah. I think he. I think he. I think he might get in there. They at some should point. let him in. I think he's good. Um. So again, Mark McGuire. You know, who's to say what will happen? You know, 22, 23 years from now. But I, I think that baseball writers can hold a pretty good grudge. I think, given the fact that he had that famed 1998 season with Sammy Sosa, uh, there's a chance that he will be maybe made an example of. He was one of the first uh, highest profile steroid users to come onto the ballot and has been doing very, very poorly. Now we'll have to see what happens next year. Next year, if there's a high increase, he was around 23% and he needed the 77. And if there's even you know a 10 to 15% increase next year, I'd say his chances in the long run you know, are pretty good. Um, that's a whole. We'll have to get to that at some point. My pr- my problems with All Star voting in general. Um, but votes than he did this year. Yeah, you know this this uh, you know Albert Pujols is the best hitter in baseball right now, and um, 
everyone at this point, best hitter in baseball, even though there's been never any any even question that Albert has used steroids, you know, there's that kind of thought in, in the back of people's minds at this point. He's the best hitter. How is he so good? He, he must be using steroids. He, no one can be that much better than everyone else. And, you know, that is a very good point. If, for some reason, you know, even if he was using steroids for years before McGuire got there, if it gets found out today, Mark McGuire is not getting into the Hall of Fame at all. Yeah, that's why people always accuse me of using steroids because I'm so much better than, than they are at things. Anyways, I have a question for you. Which give me your top three players that if they were to uh, if it were to come out that they use steroids that you'd be most surprised. That- Ooh, good question. I think we we had this conversation ourselves a couple months ago. Yep. Um, I would probably have to say Ichiro at the top of that. Okay. Given mostly the culture where he came from, the style of game he plays. So just just to clarify, we're not going to go with like Babe Ruth because no, 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 no. we're, we're going to go with people active sort players. Of, no, active not not players. even active players. Let's go players who played these until now. Okay. So in the steroid era till now. Steroid era, three most surprising people if they were to be found out to use steroids. Yep. So I'm still sticking with Ichiro. Ichiro's a good one. Um, I'm going to go Craig Biggio, number two. Another good one. you got to go with the light hitters. Yeah, the light hitters. Um, you know, Craig Biggio had plenty of injuries. He had to get moved out from behind the plate to second base mm-hmm. um, in his career early on. And let's see, number three. Well, I'm going to go Tim Lincecum because I'm biased. Tim Lincecum. Oh, yes. Well, I'm a homer. I'm a Giants homer. Any players that have started playing the last couple of years probably never get found out for using steroids. Probably not, but Tim Lincecum, the freak. That's fine. You know, he's a once-in-a-generation talent. I think it's pretty, fairly obvious given his you know small, childlike stature that he's not using steroids. <laughs> How right. about you? Top three. Okay, so my top three. I'm going to go uh, some older guys. Okay. okay. Um, some... So here, I would be I would be very surprised if I found out that Cal Ripken Jr. used steroids. Oh, that's a good one. I would be very surprised if I found out that Ken Griffey Jr. used steroids. Yeah. Um, mainly for Griffey because he was hurt so often, and I feel like players who use steroids might not get hurt as often. Yes, and because no, that is one of the main uh, uh, reasons why people take steroids is the uh, at, healing. At least that's what they say. Yes. Um, but and because Griffey, I feel like. I'm sort of biased, obviously, because believe it or not, folks, the two of us, not doctors. (laughs) Yes. um, Anyways, so I think Griffey didn't use steroids because he's a good guy, and I kind of like him. I figured that could be he'd be my buddy, and I don't think my buddies would use steroids. So that that's two. Um, So I'm gonna go. You went pitcher on your third one. I was gonna go pitcher on my third one, even though I didn't have a name on my head. But just to be different, I'm not gonna do that. Okay. I'm gonna go hitter, and I'm gonna go another often injured hitter who's actually pretty good. I'm gonna say, yeah, you you would think that if he was on the roid, first of all, he's been sticking at third base all these years, right. playing fairly good defense, not really bulking up a lot. Second of all, he's injured all the time. Yeah, and those those three guys are like sort of baseball icons from the '90s, and Griffey and uh, Chipper are still playing now, but obviously not as high of a level as they used to. But Ripken, Griffey, and Chipper are like the three of the bigger hitters in the 90s and i feel like they're they're clean yeah a little fun stat uh griffey is actually um the closest person to the top three uh all career home run uh leaders if you don't count barry bonds <laughs> griffey griffey is number five right now with 630 and, and then of course uh, willie mays was 660 
Babe Ruth with 714, Hank Aaron with the 755, and then Bonds with a 762. Another topic that we should go over sometime, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw it out there right now, is uh, the biggest shames in sports histories. We'll definitely get to I that. I think Ken Griffey Jr. getting injured as often as he did is one of them, because if not, he would definitely be you, he, I mean, if, if right the fact that he's at 6.30 right now with the amount of uh, time that he lost in Cincinnati is just amazing. It's so impressive and such, I mean, he was such an amazing talent, so much fun to watch playing the outfield in Seattle, especially early on when he was playing with his dad for a couple of years. That was just a lot of fun. Yeah. And other ones are like Grant Hill getting injured so much. And there was the guy, I can't remember his name, but he was a Maryland basketball player and he was supposed to be really good. And he got he like died of drug use or something before he got to the NBA. College basketball, not my strong point. That'll be something else you <laughs> listeners will learn in the long run. Um, but yeah, you know, it, it's it's hard to say where Griffey would be right now without injuries. But I I think everyone can agree that Griffey on, on a top list of most likable major league players, Griffey has to be in the top three. Yes, everyone loves Ken Griffey Jr. unless you are uh, an alien or you don't like baseball. Or a heart of stone. Well, of course. Len Bias, by the way, is the basketball player. Len Bias, everyone. There you go. Leonard Bias. All right. Moving on. Okay. And with that, we are going to take our first break. We're going to have some music brought to you by Music Alley uh, from Mevio. And uh, our song... Today is going to be Danny G, and the song is called What You Gonna Do. What You Gonna Do. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. And we're back. Hello. Um, This is part two of the No Show Sportscast. And while we covered steroids in the first half, we're going to switch gears a little bit. We're going to get a little more. uh, I guess steroids is a little topical, but we're going to go NFL playoff football right now. Uh, We're going to break down some of the games, uh, you know, what some wins and losses mean for the teams, and really uh, show our hatred for the Chargers overall, I think. I don't hate the Chargers. That's just not true. We're going to start with Saturday's afternoon game. The uh, Baltimore Ravens and the Indianapolis Colts. Um, We could really put uh, two words in this review of the game, and it would be enough. Peyton Manning. Uh, You know, he pretty much... He's good at football. He's good. Yeah, that's... That uh, is all you need to know, really. Uh, Moving on. No, just kidding. Um... (laughs) You know, the Ravens, they were pretty good. They had a very good season. Joe Flacco has been banged up, obviously struggled against a not very good Colts defense. Um, But I think that this Ravens team might have missed their window at this point. No, I disagree with you. Um, Their window is... I see what you're saying, because... You're saying that Ed Reed is, Ed Reed is might hurt, retire. Might retire. Uh, Ray Lewis is not getting any younger. He's very old now. I feel like this 
that they've sort of built a team that has, while this window might be closing, I feel another one might be opening up either next year or the year after because their offensive stars are so young. Joe Flacco and Ray Rice are are extremely young and have a bright future ahead of them while Derek Mason's about to disintegrate into thin air because he's such an old person. And there really isn't any other receiving threat in the in the uh, receiving core, for Ray the Rice Ravens. is the next Ray, Brian Westbrook. He'll get Ray Rice, receptions. Only uh, you do need some receivers at some point. No, Todd Heap cannot stay on the field. Uh, Kelly Washington just flat out sucks. Yeah, Mark Clayton. You know, I don't even want to say anything else about Mark Clayton other than you know whatever. Let's okay. move on. I bet people don't even know who that guy is. Um, so yeah, I, I can I can agree with that. I I can see that the um, the Ravens will move forward as much more of an offensive orientated team. You saw that a little bit this year, especially early on in the season. Joe Flacco took over some games. Yes, Flacco has been pretty good so far this year, and for being sort of just a strong arm quarterback that didn't really know what he's doing because he had a unibrow coming out of the draft. I wasn't that really into him because he's kind of an ugly person. He rocks that unibrow. Yeah, he he definitely sports it pretty well. He's like, I imagine if he was a girl, his name would be Olga. I don't know why. He's going to go with Bertha? That's extremely offensive to all Berthas out there, Trevor. Olga works too. There's not. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Anyways, so yes, uh, I don't think the Ravens are in super great shape because their defense is sort of getting old, so they'll need to address that. But while that is true... They have the most important position covered in quarterback with Joe Flacco, and they have one of the biggest secondary positions. They have the running game down. They have a good offensive line. They have a good running back. So their offense is going to be fine for many years. They just need to replace Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. That's it. No, yeah, big, that's no big task. That's no, no big task. A couple of uh, perennial pro bowlers. All pros. All pro safety uh, ball hawk. Two, two interceptions in this game in one drive, really. Yeah, neither of them counted. Yeah, he had that one interception, and the ball got poked out, sort of as he was returning it. Pierre Gosson, yes, whose family is being affected by the the disaster in Haiti. I understand. Yes. Yeah, that was a good play by Pierre Garcon. That was Ed Reed is sort of really good at returning interceptions. I remember a few years ago he had three or four or something like that, which I think Charles Woodson set the record this year for most in a career with with like eight or nine or something so yeah ed reed ed reed can return a ball yeah that's for sure yeah just like your mom (laughs) (laughs) sorry um so yeah they'll need to replace ed reed they'll need to replace ray lewis but they have guys like terrell suggs who's not an old man loading nada loading nata they have young pieces on defense ellie Gregg at the nose tackle i mean they have a, a decent defense I think uh, leadership might be a problem. They lost Bart Scott this year to the New York Jets, who we will be getting to in a couple of minutes. I feel like people will just be mesmerized by Joe Flacco's unibrow. So listen to whatever he says. So he just needs to play without a helmet. No, he can wear a helmet. That thing's predominant enough to stick through his helmet. He just needs True. to not it, shave it or whatever. You can definitely see it through the helmet. It'll be like uh, Troy Polamalu's hair sticking out of the back of his helmet, except for Flacco will have the sort so of the front the helmet. unibrow sticking right. out, uh, obscuring his vision, but really adding a lot to his leadership, right. which... And, and really, we, we've been talking a lot about the Ravens, but the Colts, I mean, we said at the top, Peyton Manning, you know, um, he's he's really, you know, a student of the game, and he can just take apart a defense, a, a very, a, still a very good defense, that like the Ravens, and he just, you know, picks them apart in the long run. I don't know how you stop Peyton Manning. 
You can't. You can only hope to contain him. <laughs> yes, that is true. I feel like I hear people say that the only way to uh, to beat him is to sort of disguise what you're going to do and put pressure on him. And those are like, duh, things. Like, everyone knows that. You sort of try to be secretive and knock him on his ass. But that doesn't mean it's going to happen. They have one of the best offensive lines in the league, led by Jeff Saturday, their perennial all-pro center. So uh, so long as they have the offensive line that they do, Peyton Manning's going to be standing upright, and he's going to be tearing apart defenses, whether or not Marvin Harrison's there, whether or not Reggie Wayne's there, whether or not he has a running back that he can rely on, like Edron James back in the day, or he doesn't really have a running game he can rely on now, but he's still leading the team, first seed in the playoffs. Yeah, Joseph Adai, Mike Hart, and Donald Brown all averaging 2.1 yards per carry or less on the game on Saturday and and that is you know, bad. That is not good. You're not gonna you're not gonna convince a defense that they need to stop the run if you know, if you're just getting stuffed every time. And we we're talking about Peyton Manning and he really only had one bad game all season other than the games that he did not play the entirety of uh, in weeks 16 and 17 and that's week 13 against a very very good um uh, Denver defense, I should say. I almost said Tennessee. Denver defense in uh, week 14. And really, even though he had a lot of picks, um, he found the thing that Peyton Manning has a, has a, a way to do is he finds a way to just will his team to victory over and over again. Yeah, he he's a very good football player. He is a first ballot Hall of Famer. Perhaps some people have said the best football player ever because he plays the hardest position in sports and he plays it better than anyone else and he has for basically his entire career. And that uh, that game against the Broncos was the game that Brandon Marshall set the NFL record for 21 receptions. He had 200 receiving yards and uh, two receiving touchdowns and still, still the Broncos were unable to come away with the victory. They didn't have Peyton Manning on their team. They did not. They had poor Kyle Orton. All right. Moving on. Evening game on Saturday. Uh, you know, this was not a close one. A lot of people expected this to be a high-scoring game, and it really was on one side of the ball. Uh, the Arizona Cardinals going to New Orleans to take on Drew Brees and the Saints, and it was really the uh, the Reggie Bush show. Uh, yes, I'm, I've been distracted. I never pass up an opportunity to correct you. I take much joy in it. The Colts... Ravens game was the evening game. The Cardinals ah, Saints game Sorry. was the morning game. No Put worries. In the wrong order. Minor, Moving on. Minor. Continue. I wasn't listening to what you said. Reggie Bush, too, I think I remember you saying. Yes. Reggie Bush had quite a good day. He he was running like he has never run before. He was lowering his shoulder, running over people instead of trying to run around them. In college, he could run around them because he was basically faster than everybody. But now he got to the NFL, he realized he's pretty much not faster than everybody. And it seemed like I haven't really seen very much of Reggie Bush in his NFL career, um, but the announcers were acting like, and I felt like he was playing differently than he normally does. Yeah, we were watching part of this game together, and I remember you saying at one point, this is the Reggie, Bro- uh, Reggie Bush that the Saints thought they were drafting. Yes, this is the Reggie Bush that the Saints thought they were drafting. This is the Reggie Bush that uh, the Texans hoped they would be passing on, hoped they would not be passing. Not be passing on? You know what I'm trying to say. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Yes, so Reggie Bush 
stepping up when it matters, and the Saints are looking good. Yeah, I mean, they were really struggling, um, finishing up the season very poorly, and a lot of people were wondering after the bye week and that poor finish, what kind, which Saints were we going to see? Were we going to see the early, the early in the season Saints that were dominating every game, or were we going to see the Saints of the last couple of weeks that were struggling to get points across, were losing games, and just really did not look like a team in sync? And we definitely saw the early in the season Saints. They returned to form with uh, the, I guess the quad-headed uh, rushing attack of Reggie Bush, Pierre Thomas, Mike Bell, and uh, Linnell Hamilton, who has taken over uh, their goal line duties of sorts. He had an early touchdown uh, as he was the answering touchdown to Tim Hightower's uh, first play from scrimmage, uh, 70-yard touchdown. And um, from then on, after Linnell Hamilton's touchdown, it was all Saints for the most part. Um, Beanie Wells got in. Uh, touchdown in the second quarter but other than that all saints all the time reggie bush you know running all over the team he had uh the 46 yard uh attempt and touchdown in the first quarter where it looked like he was tackled about five or six different times then all of a sudden opening down the middle of the field and he's gone i have a theory for you you ready? Let's hear it. I'm ready. I'm ready to hear it. I feel that football is a very mental game. When there's distractions, when there's things that you're thinking of other than the game that you're about to play. Like Kim Kardashian? Like Kim Kardashian. They're Something actually to think about. They're actually still together. Who can keep track? She was in the she was in the one of the luxury boxes look, looking down on her uh, potential hubby when he was dominating people. Anywho, as I was saying, distractions are a big deal. That's why Terrell Owens teams never Absolutely. do anything that's why the cowboys won a playoff game when they were without terrell owens and adam pacman jones and i think that's why the saints struggled so much down the stretch and i think that's why the colts struggled so much down the stretch obviously the colts didn't do that well because uh, they weren't even trying exactly they, but they you said in week 13 i believe it was peyton manning had the bad game barely he, he was not sure when he was going to get it taken out of the game exactly that's my theory anyways and i feel that the saints or uh, under the same pressure down the stretch. I think the, they had the to pressure w- to finish undefeated. You're talking right. About. They they had lots of things. The media constantly talking because their coach Jay, uh, Jay Payton, Sean Payton, Sean Payton, came out and said that they want they want to go undefeated. So that's pretty much ev- all everyone asked him about. It's putting a lot of pressure on a fairly unproven team. Right. They. I was playing actually uh, Madden earlier today, and I was I was the Saints. They weren't rated very highly at the beginning of the year. They, they were not. So they weren't expected to be this good. But they are this good. And regardless of that, you can't you can't take your mind off of the game if you're going to win. Yeah, Devery Henderson, Robert Meacham, Lance Moore, Pierre Thomas, all really um, stepping up in, in huge ways throughout the season. All of them. Um, and I think that has a lot to do with their general, their quarterback, uh, Drew Brees, the um, the birthmarked one, I guess we could call him. Um, you know, he has proven beyond a shadow of a doubt that his name belongs uh, in the conversation for best quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, he's certainly one of the most accurate passers. He doesn't have the arm strength of a Peyton Manning or a Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> 
<laughs> but um, proof that arm strength isn't everything. Um, Jim Marcus. Yeah, that's that's for another day. Yes, Drew Brees. He's got it between the ears, and he's got it in his arm, and that's what you need. Yeah, and uh, moving on, we're gonna get to the Sunday games uh, and the afternoon game mm. on Sunday morning. Morning for the West Coasters, afternoon East Coasters. This was played in the middle of the country, uh, Minnesota and Dallas. Dallas, uh, the boys heading to Minnesota to take on the gray-haired one, Brett Favre, and his uh, purple people eaters, uh, the Vikings. I don't think they've been called that since the 70s, and I just dropped that. And they're not cannibals, Trevor. They're not. But I believe the Vikings were called the purple people eaters in the 70s. Back in the day. Back in the day. No one calls them that now. People are much more uh, anti-cannibalism than they were in the 70s. There was a pro-cannibalism movement. Anyway, different topic. Um, And this game, similar to the Cardinals-Saints game, not close whatsoever. Yeah, the Vikings are good. The Cardinals weren't very good. And uh, that is about how that game went. The Cowboys. Um, what did I say? You said the Cardinals. The Vikings, Moving on. The Vikings didn't play the Cardinals? The Vikings did not play the Cardinals. The Vikings played the Cowboys, as I said in the introduction <laughs> of this game. Um, <laughs> Who did the Cardinals play? The Cardinals played the Saints. Right. Yes, both of them not close games. We just talked about that we game. We just did talk about that. This is This is behind the curtain a little bit right now for the viewers. We're going to leave this in there. This is going to be episode one from the beginning anyway. Yeah, uh, Brett Favre. Brett Favre. Brett Favre. That's pretty much all I need. Yeah, Sidney uh, Rice. Throw his name in there once. Sidney Rice. He had a pretty good game. He had a pretty good game. But Brett Favre, 15 for 24. Only 234 yards before touchdowns. Uh, quite a good uh, showing from him. Not really much from Adrian Peterson, surprisingly. Uh, Chester Taylor... Uh, didn't get the ball a lot, but had a couple good runs. I have a stat for you. Yeah, let's hear it. The Cowboys did not allow a 100-yard rusher this season. They did not. They were the fifth-ranked run defense, and so that's not super surprising that Adrian Peterson didn't score, didn't do well. Although he has Adrian Peterson, you expect him to sort of dominate any defense. But the Cowboys, they couldn't stop the pass, so the Vikings went to that as often they as they could. They could not. Brett Favre picking them apart for the four touchdowns. Two of which to Sidney Rice. You know, he wasn't really thought much of going into the season. Kind of an afterthought with Percy Harvin being drafted, Bernard Berrien being on the team, Vasante Shanko showing last year. <laughs> Everything that he is in more. Uh, he was a very good tight end. And Adrian Peterson. But then all of a sudden, Sidney Rice shows that he's a very good wide receiver. Um, he finished the game with six receptions, 141 yards. And three touchdowns, uh, all of which coming in the air from Brett Favre. And uh, it should be very interesting. You know, obviously their season isn't over yet. They'll be playing next week um, against the Saints. In the Superdome. For the the NFC Championship. But I think um, a much more interesting story than next week's game will be the offseason for the Vikings and uh, what will surely be a lot of Brett Favre drama, as we have come to expect every offseason for the last couple of years. Yeah, Brett Favre is a one-man circus. And he's because of that, he's turned many people off. If they win the Super Bowl, 
I think he will retire for good. That's fair. Yeah, I agree with that. If they don't win the Super Bowl. He'll retire and maybe come back? He'll retire for the final time and then come back next season to play probably for the Vikings unless unless there's some other team he feels he could win with but um if they win if the Vikings win the Super Bowl we've seen the last of Brett Favre that's fair yeah I I, I totally agree with that um and really as uh, I'm not uh, I don't want to uh poo-poo the NFC championship game Next week should be a very interesting game. Two very good offenses, two very good defenses that kind of get overlooked because of the offense. The Vikings, one of the best defenses in the league, and the Saints have a lot of very good playmakers. Darren Sharper, for one, led the league in interceptions. And, um, you know, that game should be a very good one. We're going to move on. The uh, afternoon game on Sunday, uh, you know, not what people expected in the outcome. Uh, J-E-T-S, Jets, Jets, Jets. Uh, not a lot of people were giving them a lot of chance. Uh, people were picking the Chargers. They had a very, very good end of the season. But as the Chargers have proven, they suck in the playoffs. This game made me so mad. <laughs> as I said earlier, I'm a Raiders fan. Um, the Chargers have sort of dominated the Raiders recently. LT's even talked shit about the Raiders. As I think he deserves to do, given uh, how not, bad he I'm beats I'm not them blaming up. him for it. I, the Raiders deserve all the punishment that they get. What I'm trying to say here is that while I should not like the Chargers, I, am, I found myself rooting against the Jets in this game. Now, why is that? Because... I don't think that they deserve to be here. The Jets? The Jets. Why not? They're obviously a very good team. Yes. Don't get me wrong. They beat the Bengals and the Chargers. They are going Bengals to the, twice. the Bengals twice. They are going to the AFC Championship game. They are obviously a good team. Wildcard teams are obviously legit because well, it was something like the last few Super Bowls, there's been a wildcard team. I don't know, some stat like that. Look it up on yourself. Yes. Do your own research. Yes. What I'm what I'm trying to say here is that at the end of the regular season, the Jets needed to win out to make the playoffs. In their final two games, they were playing the Colts and they were playing the Bengals. The Colts rested most of their starters for the whole second half. Um, I don't know the score of the game when they took out their starters. But the I'm, Colts had a five-point lead at the time. The Colts had a five-point lead when they put in Curtis Painter as their quarterback. <laughs> and surprise, surprise, the Jets came back and won. Next week against the Bengals, Cedric Benson doesn't play at all. He was a little banged up, but he could have played. And the Bengals obviously weren't giving it their all, and the Jets won and made it to the playoffs. So while I applaud them for making the playoffs in the NFL, it's a very hard thing to do. I don't think that doing it against a half of a Colts team and half of a Bengals team warrants making the playoffs so you think that the houston texans or the pittsburgh steelers have a bit of a beef here that one of one of those two teams who both they all three of uh, the jets steelers and texans all finished nine and seven the jets had the tiebreaker and they got in in the last spot you think one of those other teams two teams deserves to be in texans texans why Here, here's, here's why. Let's the Texans are in the same division as the Colts, yes? Yes. So they played the Colts twice, right? Yes. 
Yes. Uh, did Peyton Manning play the entire game, both of those games? Mm, I do not know. I'm going to say that he did. That yes, in did. itself makes it completely unfair. The Texans had to play a full Colts team twice, whereas the Jets need to play half of a Colts team once. The Steelers, the reason I don't think the Steelers should have gone in is because they lost to the Chiefs, they lost to the Browns, and lost to the Raiders. Those are three bad teams. They started off pretty good. They lost Troy Polamalu. While injuries aren't the fairest way to get knocked out of the playoffs, that's sort of sort of a natural occurrence. Yes. Pulling your players in the f- 14th week or 15th week. 16th. Whatever. Is not a natural occurrence. So for that reason, I think the Texans kind of got jobbed. Yeah, the Texans played the Colts in week 9 and week 12. Week 9, the final was 20-17 to 17 Colts, and week 12, it was 35-27, to 27, so two very close games. Yes, if Peyton Manning didn't play all of either, if say this, if he just played all of one of the games and none of the other game, the Texans would have made the playoffs. That's true, that's a good point. Although, the Steelers, uh, if I'm going to play devil's advocate, Please the do. Steelers uh, were in the same uh, division as the Cincinnati Bengals and the Baltimore Ravens. So they had two playoff teams to contend with. I'm not sure when the last time uh, three teams from one division uh, all got into the playoffs. That would have been quite impressive. Um, Now, uh, a counter-argument to that would be that the fourth team in that conference is the Cleveland Browns, (laughs) uh, which could uh, negate some of that difficulty playing the Ravens and the Bengals. Yes, they did. Uh, Browns finishing 5-11 on the season. Uh, really not close. Uh, they won a couple late uh, season games with Jerome Harrison, but really not not an impressive team this year. Hoping to bounce back next year with Mike Holmgren and Eric Mangini, uh, who should, at this point, is still on board. It's still very early, and uh, we will see what happens there. But yeah, I, I can see that the te- I can see that Texans argument, but um, I. My counter-argument to that whole idea is that they play the games. If a team if a team like the Colts gets to a point where they don't need to play their uh, starters, that they, ha- they they owe nothing to the Texans or the Steelers to compete. Their, their main goal is to get to the playoffs as healthy as possible, as prepared as possible, and that's what they did. I don't fault the Colts at all. The Colts did what they could should have done as pr- as... So you're faulting the Jets for being in the right place at the right time. No, I'm not faulting it. I'm fault. If anything, I'm faulting the system. Okay. But um, hear that, Roger Goodell. <laughs> as Wes Welker proved, resting your starters in the last game of the season not a terrible idea. Yeah. Um, so, I think the Colts did the right thing when they rested their players. I think the Bengals did the right thing when they rested their players. It obviously turned out okay for the Saints and the Colts to rest their players at the end of the season. They've won and they're going to the championship games. What I'm saying is that. Regardless of whose fault it is, Houston had a much tougher road than the Jets did, and I feel that they were the better team. That's a fair argument. That's a fair argument. Problem is, we'll never know. Indeed. All right. And on that note, we are going to call it quits for this episode one of the No Show's Sportscast. I have been Trevor Coos. I've been joined by Mark Ling. And thank you for wasting a bunch of time.
Always Accused on the No Show Sportscast can be found at Music Alley from Mebio, musicalley.com.